I can't, ima- can't imagine anybody not wanting to be in church when church is like it has been today. So good this morning, all of the good music, and uh, this evening the drama was a blessing, and the music, and good to be here. Well, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Second Kings, chapter number 4. Second Kings, chapter number 4. Very short passage of Scripture, but some very, very important points. We begin our reading in verse number 38, and we're not going to take time to go back and rehash where we've been already. But we're still talking about the Lord God of Elijah. When you start talking about God, there's no quitting place, is there? Amen? Because, I mean... God is just far beyond anything we could ever imagine or describe. Verse number 38, And Elisha came again to Gilgal. And there was a dearth in the land, and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said unto his servant, Set on the great pot and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. One went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered thereof wild gourds his lap full and came and shred them into the pot of pottage. For they knew them not. And they poured out for the men to eat and it came to pass as they were eating of the pottage that they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. And he said, Then bring meal. And he cast it into the pot and said, Pour out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. There are three things I want you to notice this evening. I want you to think about the prophet. And I want you to think about the problem. And I want you to think about the provision. And that's the bottom line to all of this. And as we have, week after week, thought about the Lord God of Elijah, it always gets back to this. And that is that God is able to meet our needs when it seems impossible. And He's still in that same business today. And He hasn't lost any of His ability today. He's able to do exactly what he did way back then, and tomorrow he'll be able to do the same thing. Now, this might be a very familiar story to some of you. No doubt you have heard it preached in a number of different ways, but just staying with the story itself and looking at it in the most simple forms, there are just these three thoughts before us. There's the prophet. And it's interesting to me that it tells us here in the very first verse, verse 38, that Elisha came again to Gilgal. Now, the narration did not have to pick up at that point. It could have, you know, started sooner, or it could have just said, you know, that there was a dearth in the land and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. It could have started there. But God took note to point out that he came there Again, now, 
For one thing, it reminds me that he's more concerned about ministry than he is about comfort. Now, remember where he is. You remember that there, there was the woman and the man, the, the Shumanite woman, and they had built him a, a wall in addition onto the house, and they had a bed, a table, a stool, and a candlestick. That's back in verse number 10. And he certainly has gained the favor of this family even after that in that the son was raised from the dead. And beyond any shadow of a doubt, I think that he could have just stayed there and uh, lived out the rest of his days in a very comfortable position. People just providing for him. You know, in a very real sense, I, I guess you could say, you know, he had earned that. Considering the ways in which God had used him, that maybe he has earned the right to just, you know, spend the last years of his life taking it easy. But instead of staying there in the home of the Shumanite woman, basking in comfort, he goes to Gilgal, where he's teaching the young preachers. This is the school of the prophets. He's there, and the young preachers are sitting at his feet, learning. He's still busy after all of this time. I think about David, and when David got in trouble, it was the time when the kings went out to war, and David stayed behind. And I really believe with all of my heart that idleness got David into trouble. And idleness will get anybody into trouble. I don't care who you are. If you just come to the conclusion, look, I've already served in the church for many years. I've made my contribution. Now it's time for younger folks to, you know, to pick up the ball and to go on. And, and I, I'm, I'm going to just take it easy during the remainder of my time on earth. You're making a big, big mistake. Now, it's true that you might not be able to do what you used to do. That's true. But there's always some way that we can be involved in God's service. And the thing most generally that holds us back is the desire for pleasure or for comfort. And he could have just said, look, I'm not going back there. I mean, I've, I've done that. You know, all that is my duty to do, I'm staying here. But instead of that, he's still interested in ministry, and that's why we're here. If we're not going to minister to anyone, why are we here on earth? Be a whole lot better in heaven. That's what Paul said to depart and be with Christ, be far better. Think about that. Think about all of the joys of heaven, the blessing of being there in the presence of the Lord and liberated from this old, this old flesh and blood body that we live in and in the presence of loved one that's gone before. Nothing down here could ever compare to that. But God leaves us here because there's a work to do and we need to be interested, we need to be concerned about ministry whether it's the young people or whether it's the older folks, whatever we're involved in, we need to get involved in ministry of some kind or another. But notice when he goes there, it says here that there was a dearth. And that word dearth means to hunger. And it's a situation that's usually caused by a drought. 
But now listen to me. Here's the real reason. It's caused by sin. You know, we forget sometimes that God sends His judgment upon the land as a result of what people do. And we got this crazy idea that things just happen. I can remember when Katrina hit and some of the preachers started, you know, talking about the fact that this was an evidence of God's judgment upon the sinfulness of that area. And all of a sudden, the critics come crawling out of every dark corner condemning what they were saying. But I want you to know that if God has His way in the whirlwind, then God has a reason for every storm. And who are we to sit in judgment of God when something like that happens? Listen, we ought to stop and examine our lives as to where we are. And again and again, and I'm not going to read all of the verses. I don't need to. You are familiar enough with the Bible to know that repeatedly in the Old Testament, the Lord told Israel that when you sin, I'm going to withhold the rain and the cattle's going to die and the crops are not going to grow and you're going to find yourself in a position of need. And so he comes to Gilgal. He comes during a crisis. And that tells me this, that He is available when needed. You've probably noticed that people are more responsive when there's a crisis. I think that's true of all of us. In times of difficulty, we are much more likely to listen to the Word of God. Sometimes God uses our troubles to melt even the hardest of hearts. And we believers, we need to remember that every crisis for us is an opportunity for us to minister unto the Lord. There was a church some years ago here in the area. I'm not going to call names. I'm not going to go back and rehearse the history of the the story or any such thing as that, but... The interesting thing is that this one particular church in the area, when we had a big flood, this has been, I don't know, 12, 14, 15 years ago, I guess. We had a big flood, and this one church in the area just decided that they were, I mean, they just nearly depleted their finances the way it was explained to me in reaching out and helping people, providing for people in the area. I mean, the homes were gone. And here's the amazing thing. The only name I'll mention is old brother Henderson, who was one of the, well, the founding pastor of several of the churches in this area. And old brother Henderson was sitting in my office and he was talking about the way that the present church was really growing at that time. And he said, you know, the strange thing is we've never spent a dollar on advertising or anything. All of this has happened as a result of us responding to the need in the community. And he said, it's just amazing that every week there are just, I mean, tons of visitors coming through the door. Now, my point is this. All around us, there are people in crisis. Those people will not at all times be responsive 
to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when they are down and out and deep in trouble and don't know where to turn and they don't know what to do, it's then that the door of their heart is often open and it allows us that opportunity to minister to them and to tell them of Christ. So Elijah is there. He's not back there sitting in the little room that had been prepared for him. He's not there, you know, basking in the sunshine of all of his luxuries. He's there with the people. Where are the people? Hey, listen, they're hungry. They're starving. I mean, there's not enough food. They've got a real problem. And he's right there with them in the midst of that problem, ready when needed. The Bible says in Titus 3.1, Be ready to every good work. I'm certain we've all done this. And I know I have time and time again, and I mean well, just like you do. But so many times we find someone with a need in their life, and we dismiss ourselves from their presence by saying something like this. Let me know if there's anything that I can do. Yeah? You have too, right? Let me know if there's anything I can do. Now, I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with that. Sometimes we don't know what to do. And many times we're really sincere. We want to know if you've got a need, if there's something I can do, how can I help you in this situation? Just let me know. I'll be here for you. I want to help. But a lot of times that's nothing more than a trite little saying and we walk away hoping they don't knock on our door or pick up the phone and call us. Because we're not really looking for opportunities to minister to people. But here is a prophet that is there when he is needed, even though being there means that he is depriving himself of comfort. We've got to get over this comfort stuff and get out of our comfort zone and be willing to do what we, we don't feel like doing sometimes. Just do it because it's the right thing to do. Amen. Now, notice the problem. It's described here as a dearth, and we've talked about that. It's speaking about a time of hunger. They don't have anything to eat. And so this could not have come at a worse time when the new problem develops. Because here's the idea. They get there, all of the preacher boys are gathered around, and the old preacher is no doubt instructing them, and he says to his servant, his personal servant, he says, I want you to go put on the great pot. I suppose every family has a great big pot of some kind. You know, one great big one for, you know, when Mama makes stew or chili for for the whole family, and you get that one great big pot out. Maybe that's what he had in mind. Go get the great pot, and he says, you know, put on some pottage. We've got, we got to feed these fellows. So he goes out, and he begins to look, and, you know, whatever he can find. You know, it's amazing what you'll be willing to eat when you really get hungry. Somebody said, I'd never eat that. I can remember years ago, and I've always loved to eat, but the one thing that I said that I I absolutely could not eat. And I can remember so many times saying it. I I cannot eat boiled okra. 
just don't even go there. I can't do it. Well, I was pastoring in Tennessee, and I had I had gallbladder surgery. Now back then, that's when they cut you from here all the way around here. And the doctor told me going in, he said, now, I want you to understand that it's not as dangerous, but this is much more painful than heart surgery. <laughs> That's really encouraging. I mean, you know, you're getting ready to be operated on and he tells you something like that. So he says, do you want to take a chance on not having another gallbladder attack or do you want me to operate? I said, if there is any chance at all that I'll ever have another one of those attacks, I want you to operate. I want to get that thing out of there. And so they operated. I had to spend the next week in bed. I believe I was in the hospital a total of eight days and couldn't even preach on the upcoming Sunday, in fact. But after a few days, I mean, they, you know, I, I, I just, you know, I was hungry. I was starving. I just had to have something to eat, and I kept complaining they'd bring in this yucky looking stuff and things and I and, and I thought no I, I want something to eat I mean something really to eat and so they told the doctor said look he, he won't eat anything we gotta we gotta get him something to eat and they sent in a bowl I'm serious a boiled okra boiled okra never looked so good to me I, I mean I that I just consumed that bowl in a heartbeat boy and I love it today well, they're out looking for something to eat, and this fellow finds some wild gourds. Now, a lot of these kids don't even know what a gourd is. I do, because back when I was a kid, at just about at every every well or cistern, or well, we didn't have cisterns back there in Missouri. We had wells everywhere, but uh, and and down at the old spring, they had springs everywhere. And there's always a gourd dipper hanging there. Take one of those gourds and cut it in half and let it dry out. And a gourd dipper, that's what you drink out of. But a gourd. Now, this fellow didn't know anything about these, but they looked like they were good. Kind of like maybe mushrooms. Mushrooms are one of my very favorite foods. <laughs> you eat the wrong one and you're a goner. I mean, it'll kill you. Some of them are poison. And so you don't just go out in the woods and say, well, there's a mushroom, I'm going to eat it. You can't eat every form of mushroom. Well, I don't know all the details about this gourd, but he got the idea, now this is going to be good. And so he shredded it up and throwed it in the, throwed it in the pot. Big pot of some kind of stew, just whatever he could find, I guess. And, and all of a sudden they began to cry out, there's death in the pot. <laughs> this food's not just bad, it's going to kill us. It's poison. And so here's my point. We're talking about the problem. And the problem is this. The problem could not come at a worse time because they're already in the middle of a problem. And now they've got a bigger problem. It's kind of like the old saying, when it rains, it's, it pours. Or Murphy's Law. If anything can go wrong, it will. And that's what we see happening here. The problem comes at the worst time, and you know what I mean, because you've been there when all of a sudden here you are in the middle of a problem, and you think, surely, surely, this is as far as it'll go, and I'm going to get out of this, and it'll pass in a day or two, and, and all of a sudden, I mean, boom, you get hit again. 
you haven't even recovered from the first blow, and you get hit again. But here's something else. It not only came at the worst time, but do you notice that God's servants are not exempt from this problem? It's not talking about the drunkards and those that are down and out in the city, so to speak. This is God's servants. These are the young preachers. These are those who love the Lord, who are serving the Lord. Sometimes the best people have the worst problems, and that's what they've got. They've got a big-time problem here. Then when we think about this problem, there's something else about it, and that's this, that things are not always as they seem. Things are not always as they seem. I feel certain that that young man that went out there and was looking for the food to prepare the pottage, that, you know, he found those gourds and he thought, you know, boy, that looks delicious. And there's so many times that things appear to be, you know, if not helpful, at least not hurtful. And we can make so many applications to this. They said there is death in the pot. Everything looked good. It might be that it even tasted good, pleasurable to the palate, but death in the pot. You see, folks, we could say that same thing in regards to false teachers today. Death in the pot. You remember how Paul described them. He spoke of them as being the ministers of Satan, and he says that they have transformed themselves as and projected themselves and presented themselves as though they are ministers of light. In other words, they come to you as it were in the form of an angel, a messenger from God, but rather they are messengers of Satan. Death in the pot. It is so amazing how false teachers can deceive people. They can say things, and listen, they can even use all of the religious jargon and even use the name of Jesus. And yet when you get right down to the very root of their theology, it's poison in the pot. Bev and I stopped to eat in a place this this last week, and and they were playing Christian music. This place way out on 1960 out there, and a, a chain type place that not many of them around here. And uh, went in eating, so I we got through eating. I went up and asked for the manager, and and commended the manager on you know I, I want you to know I really appreciated the Christian music. I, that's so very unusual. Are you a Christian? Yes, we're all Christians here. We all go to, you know, where. And I felt like saying, I enjoyed your food and I love your music, but I need to talk to you about that. Now, there's customers all around, and I didn't do that. Maybe someday I'll get the opportunity. And surely you figured out where I'm talking. I'm talking about the most dangerous man in town. And I, listen, I mean that when I say that. Amen. The, those cutthroats down there, you know, and uh, 
in the back alleys. They'll slit your throat. They'll take your money. But they can't touch your soul. But whenever a false teacher comes along and clouds the gospel message to the point that people think they're all right with God when they're not, and they think they can live their best life now and on and on and on. Let me tell you something. That man is dangerous. There's poison in the pot. And on and on and on we could go. The false doctrine that has permeated our society today Things are not always as they seem, not only in regards to corrupt teachers, but also in regards to circumstances that seem to be favorable. You know, we look at something and we say, wow, that's going to be a big plus. Well, maybe it will and maybe it won't. Things are not always as they seem. And that same thing could be said about the common things of life. And you see, that's why Paul says that we are to prove all things. In other words, put everything to the test. That's good advice. And naturally, the way that we do that is to look at everything in the light of God's Word. But then there's another thing about this problem that I want to mention, and that's this that difficulties are often very dangerous times in our life. Now, this is what I mean. When we're going through a difficulty, sometimes we'll do things, we'll act out of character, we'll do things that ordinarily we would never do. And I think that's what's going on here. They didn't know anything about these gourds they were eating. (laughs) Have you have you ever wondered how in the world people ever discovered that certain foods are edible? I'm not even going to go there. And I, you know what I mean, though. <laughs> Who would have thought, ever thought for a minute about eating some of the things we eat? But somebody did and discovered, oh, it's good. <laughs> Have another helping is good. And normally we eat things that we know are not harmful. But they took a chance. Why? Because they're hungry. They're facing a difficulty, and as a result of that, they're trying things that they normally would not try. And I think there's an important lesson there for us, folks, because so many times in the midst of a difficulty, what we will do is we'll try things that ordinarily we would ignore. In other words, sometimes we'll even listen to people out of our spirit of desperation. We're looking for help. We're looking for advice. And here we are in a quandary caught on the horns of a dilemma, and we don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves out there getting our advice on living from unsaved people. And they may have a lot of, you know, initials and titles after their name and so forth, and all of a sudden we get to thinking, well, you know, they've been to college and 
They've studied this subject and surely they must be experts. The Bible speaks a lot about the counsel of this world and how we ought not to follow the counsel of this world. There is a way that seemeth right, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Let me give you some good advice. When you're going through a difficulty, stick with what you know. Don't launch out into the unknown. And then we learn here that sincerity is no safeguard. I just got to believe that this fellow would not for one second have even thought about, you know, I've just been waiting for a good chance to poison all these preachers. That wasn't his idea. He is acting responsibly. He's doing his best. He is sincere. And so he cooks all of this pottage up and he has it ready and they sit down there at the table and he is just as sincere as he can be. But sincerity is not enough. Amen. You know, he could have said, well, I tell you what, fellas, I'm sorry old so-and-so died. I mean, you know, I'm sorry that happened, but I, I did my best. That's not enough. I didn't aim for that to happen. No, you didn't, but it did. And that's why we need to act on what we know is true. And the only place we find that in full measure is in God's Word. Now, here's the third thing, and I close. The third thing has to do with the provision. The prophet is there where he ought to be. The prophet is more concerned about ministering to people than he is his personal comfort. And so while he's there, With one problem on the front burner, now there's another problem on the back burner. And their lives are in jeopardy. There's death in the pot. They don't know what to do. The good news is, the prophet knew what to do. That's the good news. Now, it doesn't go into detail. It doesn't tell us that he heard this voice from heaven or any, anything like that. But here is a man that's in touch with God, and when we're in touch with God, we're going to know what to do in a time of need. He's in touch with God, and God's dealing with him, working through him. So in this serious situation, he knows what to do, And the people trusted his leadership. And he says, go get some meal. You might call it flour today, cornmeal, whatever. Go get some meal. Put it in the pot. Just add that to it. And it's going to be all right. And so by his advice, he changed something that was poison into something that was profitable and pleasurable. Just the opposite of what it was. But think what might have happened if they said, look, <laughs> that was your servant that, you know, that caused this problem. No, thank you. I don't want any more stew. I, I've had enough. I think I'll pass. I'm, I'm going to fast the next day or two. But they trusted the man of God. And this really seems like sort of a dumb I mean, at least to me, I'm not a cook, but it seems like kind of a dumb idea. You got this this pot of poison pottage, and you're going to 
throw in a little flour along with it, and you're telling me that you're going to turn around and eat it after that? Not me. But, but that, that's exactly what he instructed them to do, and everything turned out fine. Now, here's the bottom line. This is what it's all about right here, and that's the fact that God's power is always able to supply our needs. Amen. Just as the meal delivered them from their dilemma, the Lord Jesus Christ is the divine antidote for all of our problems. He's able to meet our need in any situation. And the only hopeless person is the person that refuses to trust in Jesus Christ. And that is folly of the highest sort. What could be more silly than to do that? Now, folks, the whole purpose of this series of messages, and I told you in the beginning, and I want to reiterate for just a minute, we've been talking about the Lord God of Elijah, and we're not through yet. And right now, as everybody knows, our nation faces some serious, serious problems. You know, and I wish I could stand here and tell you all, you know, just grit your teeth and hang on, because, folks, it's going to get better. You know, it, it, It's going to get better, and... You know, in another few months or another year or something, we're going to, you know, we're going to work all of this out and our leaders are going to, our leaders are going to solve this problem. You don't know how bad I wish I could stand here and tell you that. I can't. You see, it's not my job to make you feel good about coming to church. It's my job to prepare you for the life that God wants you to live. And sometimes that's hard. It's difficult. You know, the chances are real good. Somebody just, just a while ago, full the service, talked to me about uh, uh, the fact that a big layoff where they work and, and good probability they're going to lose their job. There's some, some folks here is already unemployed. There's some folks here that's not making near as much money as they used to. There are folks that are frightened because of the future and the situation. And listen, listen to me. The economic part of it is just one part of the problem, people. I'm telling you, we've got people in high places that are hell-bent on destroying our Constitution and our nation. They're determined to do it, and they call themselves our friends, and they say they love this country. And they're determined to destroy this nation. And so I've just got to tell you, 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 need to, you need to prepare yourself. You need to do what you can to get your kids ready to face this tough world that they're going to have to live in. And the message that you want them to receive is this, that regardless of how tough it gets, you live for God, you trust God, you serve God. And you might be right in the middle of the problem, but He'll see you through it. That's it. That He is able to meet your need regardless of your situation. Amen. I can sleep on that. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.